Blog Talk Radio. It's Sunday evening, and welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Your hosts for tonight's show are Robert Brining and Jeremy Dunn. They'll be taking your calls and speaking on the topic of the week. You're encouraged to call in and share some of your life experiences with us. The number to call is 347-215-9442. That number again, 347-215-9442. Welcome to Pause I Am Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Pause I Am Radio. I am your host, Robert Brining, joined by my co-host, Jeremy Dunn. Jeremy, what's going on, brother? What's going <laughs> on, brother? Well, let what? me see. We had a fun-filled weekend this weekend. Did so you? I just want to... Yes. Oh, my God, it was great. So yesterday, we went to the Irish Festival here in Charlotte, which was a huge bust. But anyway, we still had a good time. And then, and then after that, we went to a thing called Art is Out. Mm-hmm. And the um, the proceeds went to uh, one of the local AIDS organizations here. Went to RAIN, which is the Regional AIDS Interfaith Network. And that was a lot of fun. I got to co- reconnect with some old friends, and that it was just it was just a blast. And then today we went. Uh, Mark and I went to drag brunch over at a bar called Hardigans. So I'm giving a. Um, Give a, giving a giving a shout out to Hardigans because it was lots and lots of fun, and um, there's pictures on the fa- on my Facebook and and stuff. So uh, you guys will have to go check it out. But we had a great time, just a great time, and I'm I'm exhausted. So you're you're getting the last the bit last the, the bit of energy that I've got <laughs> left. <laughs> well, it sounds great. Uh, yeah, it sounds like a great weekend. Um, I spent really I hope most of mine inside. <laughs> um, just, you know, doing normal stuff, working on the website and trying to do different things. And, um, you know, I always trying to change something and creating videos and things of that nature. And I just want to say hi to everybody in the chat room. Dad, Kenji, uh, Jake is in the chat room, a friend of mine from Philly. Um, so it's always nice to, um, you know, to get out more and to do things. And that's something that me and my partner have been trying to do, get out more on every Monday that, you know, he has off. We try to go out and do something like we went tubing before. It's good to get out and, and live your life a little bit. You know, sometimes we get so trapped sitting behind the computer and sitting in our own house that we forget that we're supposed to do things in life, you know? Yep, exactly. I mean, you you have to get out. You have to. Yeah. I mean, so, just, uh, just what? Oh, I was just saying you just got to get out there and just because we all too – often can, can get locked behind this box that we call our, our machines. Right. And, and I, you know, it, it's true what they say about BlackBerry. It is a crackberry because it goes <laughs> everywhere with me, and I'm always on it. So it, it's, it's, disgusting. it's disgusting. Well, that's kind of interesting. Um, tonight, actually, I'm really excited. We have a really well, cool kind guest of on tonight. Listen to you. That's kind of, kind of interesting, and, and you like, blow me off now. It's kind of interesting. Well, I don't have a BlackBerry or an iPhone, so I'm jealous, okay. so I'm changing the okay. subject. <laughs> but tonight we have a really, really great guest. I found her on Facebook, and her name is Felicia Flames, and she is an HIV-positive transgender diva. Um, she does a lot of um, work in the LGBT community and in the AIDS community, so um, she's going to come on and share her personal story of what it's like being an LGBT senior, and what she goes through, um, you know, as a person who is transgender, because as for somebody like myself and you, Jeremy, we don't know what that's like. So I'm very fascinated by it to see what, um, you know, like just, just how it all came about for her and, and, and how she came to where she is today. Yep. I, 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 I'm, I'm really excited to actually talk to her. So I, I think this is going to be fun. Yeah, she um, confirmed right before the show. We were talking before okay. we went live. And um, we were talking about a different things, and I, I filled her in on um, my foot in my mouth when I was talking uh, a couple shows ago um, and let her know. And she was laughing about it. She goes, honey, I'm an open book. She goes, you guys can call in and ask any question I want. So she's a total open book, and she's very uh, willing to speak about it. You know, anything that she has going on, she has a couple. She was in some films um, that were uh, featured at the, I want to say, the Slam Dance. 
Did I got that right? The Slam Dance Festival in San Francisco. Um, yep, the Slam Dance Film Festival in 2008, and then she was in the San Francisco LGBT Frameline Film Festival in 2007. Um, and she's going to come on and talk about those two videos that she, um, you know, had a cameo in or, you know, uh, shared parts of her story with. So I'm just excited I, to have I, her on. Th- yeah, you know what? I'm trying to type and talk at the same time, and I'm just like, ah. Yeah, right. That's why I try not to type so much in the chat room. <laughs> exactly. But we have Felicia here on the line, so we're going to go ahead and bring her on. Let's bring her on. Felicia Flames, welcome to Pause I Am Radio. Hi, welcome. Uh, thank you for having me. Hi, Felicia. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing fine. Doing fine? Yes. <laughs> now, now, you're out in San Francisco, right? Yes. Right now it's a beautiful day in San Francisco. Sunny uh. and, and nice and warm. Sunny, nice, and warm. Well, it is 9 p.m. here on the East Coast, <laughs> and it's dark outside, so enjoy it. I think I am. Well, not really, because I did two shows Friday and Saturday, and I, Sundays are my day to rest. Oh, see, Robert, <laughs> look what you did to her. <laughs> I made her work. <laughs> so, Felicia, um, I, I'm excited to have you on as, you know, you're gonna you're our first transgender guest to come on and share a personal story. And for me, it's very important to, um, like I told you earlier, to have a variety of people come on from all different walks of life and share their personal stories because somewhere out there, somebody is looking for hope and isn't finding it in, you know, the stories that we may have had on before. So I think having you on and having you share your story is something that will, you know, help a lot of people. And I'm just really, really excited and thankful that you came on today to talk with us. Oh, well, thank you very much. Do you want me to tell you something about myself? Yeah, please, yeah. please do. Okay. I was born Felipe Alvarado Elizondo in San Angelo, Texas, July 23, 1946, in at 8 a.m. in the morning. I was in a part, uh, I grew up where uh, uh, the La- Mexicans had their own uh, community, uh, blacks had their own community, and the whites had their own community. And we, w- I went to an all-Mexican school. We did not allow Mexi- uh, uh, whites or blacks in our school. Why? I have no idea because I was too young to even know. But our teachers were white, so that's how I grew up. I I grew up in a commu- in a small community where I knew I was different, but I didn't know the scope of it. I was different that I was feminine, small, petite, and uh, um, and I knew I liked boys, but I didn't know why. Uh, I didn't know why I was. All my friends liked girls. My my uh, my my neighbors and the girls like boys, but I like boys, and I could I I couldn't understand why. So anyway, at the age from five to Ten years old, my my mother's best friend's son, who was about five years old, started molesting me and uh, and told me that if I told it, uh, anybody that I would get hurt or my family would get hurt or somebody would get hurt, so I kept my mouth shut for a long time. And then I came, uh, my father died when I was three, so uh, that left a big hole as far as uh, the male. But I had a brother that was 20 years older than me, so he became my brother. I, in my in my in my community, uh, like in my in my own race, which is Latino, uh, there was a lot of racism. If you were dark, and and my cousins were very like complected, and I was dark, and my sisters were dark. But I was called Little Black Sambo, and I don't know the the sto- if you knew the story of Little Black Sambo. But if you look it up in the uh, web, it tells you about a little boy boy losing all his clothes and something like that. It happened. But they call me Little Black Sambo, and I knew prejudice and racism in my own community and in my own family. So that even made it even worse. So at the time, my uh, my mother moved us to California, and I was around. 13 or 14, and that was in Stockton, California, where I met this 
very feminine boy. His name was Victor Torres. And we hit it off because we were both feminine. We tried to have sex, but we were two girls, so we just decided to be friends. And that's where I first met my first gay man. And what age was this? That was about 12, 13 years old. So at 12 or 13, you knew that something was different about you, like you said earlier. Um, but you were feminine, but you weren't attracted to? You were attracted to men, but you weren't, you didn't consider yourself gay? I'm just trying to figure it out. I'm sorry. I well, I, I didn't, because I didn't know what gay, I didn't know, to me, I was feminine, and I was, I was, I was attracted to a boy, but the, the meaning of it was, I didn't know the meaning of it, how I right. felt, you know? The meaning of being gay or being transgender or that came later in life. Uh, it's just that I was feminine and I liked boys. I didn't know why, but I did. And there was in 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 the in the in the fifth early fifties, there was no education. My mother didn't know. Uh, nobody knew. All I know is that I was called a queer, a sissy, a fruit. Uh, a lot of Mexican words like mariposa or you know something like that, but you know, and 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 I and I cried and I was upset and I was hurt. Why are they calling me this? I don't. Why am I? I'm act the way I'm supposed to act. I I I can't act any different. I am, I am who I am. I can't be somebody else. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. and uh, then I. Uh, then we moved back to San Angelo, but my mother didn't like it there, so we moved back to San Jose. In San Jose, California, I was around 15 years old, and I was walking down the street one day, down Santa Clara Street, and this man picked me up because I walked feminine. So this was a gay man, and then uh, he picked me up and offered me money to go with him. So I said, oh, heck, you know, how easy can it be, <laughs> I mean, to earn money, to have sex? And somebody to to hold you and 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 make love to you and all that stuff and it felt so good. So he told me where to go, uh, where all the the gay and uh, the gay uh, people hung around was at St. James Park in San Jose, and that's where I started meeting all my friends like Tommy and uh, Bernie and Rachel and a whole bunch of people. And that's how I got into the gay community. By by going to the park, and then I there was we st- we stood out gay uh, outside the gay bars in uh, in San Jose called the Crystal on San Fernando. We were too young to go in there, but we knew that there were gay men in there. And when they came out at two o'clock in the morning, they'd be uh, wanting to somebody to go to bed with them for money. So we hang around in front of the Crystal and St. James Park and all that stuff. But I knew. The only the only reason that I acted male in a relationship is for money. In a relationship, like uh, my boyfriend, I was the the feminine part. I wouldn't play the the man's part on my part on my boyfriend. If that hap- if he wanted me to, then I would let him go because I don't know why. This is the way it happened, you know. So I was in a in a gay relationship with John. Uh, I met him at the Crockpot in Redwood City, and uh, then I came home, and he was he broke we broke up, and we we uh, I was hurt that he was going out with my best friend, so I told my mother that I wanted to go into the service. No, before that, I met my sugar daddy at, at 15 years old, and he brought me to San Francisco where. The tenderloin, oh my God, the tenderloin was jumping. I mean, it was just uh, uh, feminine boys all over the place, and you know, and what they called—I don't know if anybody remembers—but I remember very in the '60s or in the '62, '63 when I was around that age. I knew that the queens were called hair fairies, where we wore uh, tennis shoes, skin-tight pants, angora sweaters, makeup, redded hair. And then after uh, after a while, the girls started getting very... The hippie generation came into uh, uh, play, and the girls started wearing... Because it was against the law to wear long hair in, in uh, before the 60s, in the, in the 60s, before the, uh, the hippie generation came. And all the girls who went out 
like a sissy boy used to have their uh, hair under a cap because it was against the law to uh, wear long hair. So that happened. Uh, and then, uh, but, and then when what happened is that when I I I left San Francisco and I came back to San Jose and uh, and then I decided, well, I don't want to be. I don't want to be this way. I I don't I want to I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want to do all this and I don't want to go I don't want to spend the rest of my life because I I found it to be a very lonely life because there wasn't no long-term relationships to us. It was just a overnight or a couple of months or 6 months relationship and you were you were you were on to the next partner or something. So, I told my mother when I came from San Francisco, she said, either, either uh, I joined the service or she would never see me again. And I went into the Navy. No, I went to the Army and they wouldn't accept me because I was too small. I only was five foot two. And then I went into the Navy and they accepted me and I said, well, if the Navy doesn't make me a man, nothing will. <laughs> well, it didn't. You know? I went and then... And then when I was in, in, in Coronado in San Diego, I wanted to go to, I volunteered to go at Viet, to Vietnam. Maybe I would get killed because I was here. There's a war going on and maybe I would get killed and all the pain and hurt and, and all this inside of me would, would, uh, I'm gonna get emotional that, that all this pain and, and hurt would go away and, you know, but anyway, I was unloading cargo in Vietnam, in Da Nang, Vietnam, and I decided, oh no, I am not going to be this way. I'm not going to pretend that I'm a man when I'm not. So I went to my priest and I told my priest that I was gay. Boy, did they get me out of there fast. I think <laughs> I was there. <laughs> and then they were going to, they were going to, uh, 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 I mean, put me in for uh, treason because it was during time of war. And then they flew me back to uh, Treasure Island, um, uh, Treasure Island here in San Francisco, and I got discharged in uh, the early part of January in 1966. Then I moved into, um, then I moved to San Jose, and then I came to San Francisco with a little blue dress, a wig and some shoes, and five or six of the girls from uh, San Jose came to live at the uh, El Rosa Hotel in San Francisco, which is on Turk Street. And we started. Uh, they wouldn't hire feminine boys or sissies, you know, that look like girls. So I decided that uh, we became a, a female impersonated prostitute. That's how I made my money. I was I was into drugs, yeah, but not not as much as the other girls. Other girls were really into uh, uh, speed and heroin and all that stuff. But and that's how we got to, uh, to be so l- low class because we were trying to survive like everybody else, and this is the only way that we could do it. And uh, what happened is that. Uh, uh, the girls started getting bold, started getting dressed like girls, and then they would, the police would harass you over and over and would take you into jail for anything and parade you in the drunk tank, and they would take your clothes off and laugh at you and, and, and make fun of you. And and even when you're walking down the street, they would, uh, they would um, arrest you for obstructing a sidewalk. Or if you did not have consideration that you were not a female impersonator if you were wearing uh, underwear or some kind of men's clothes. And um, that I think in August, I, you know something, that the memory of, uh, of Susan Stryker when she uh, started uh, the documentary for the Screaming Queens, the 1966 riot at Jean Compton's cafeteria, we had forgotten all about it. I had, I could barely remember that it even happened because the memory was so uh, long ago that I know that what happened is that the cops came in and 
they drug this queen out, and they st- she poured coffee, and all hell broke loose. Where just just did not. I mean, we were fed up. We were just didn't want to take it anymore. And whatever happened, it couldn't be any worse than what we were already at. So. Um, now, when did this happen? Because I'm trying to, Felicia, just hold on one second. I'm trying to set up a timeline. So you you went to the army or you went into the navy at what age? I think about seventeen, eighteen. Okay, so so about seventeen, eighteen, you went to the navy, and prior to that, you lived as as a gay male. Right. Right. So then you went into the Navy and then you got discharged and then that's when you started doing, I guess, dressing in drag or cross-dressing at the time, right? Right, right. Okay, I just want to make sure I get it down the timeline and then that's when you moved back to San Francisco. Now, these riots mm-hmm. you're talking about... This it was is only one. One riot. One riot. And that it happened was one in one night year? And one, uh, uh, 1966. But it was something that hit the headlines that was pretty big, right, in 1966. Well, you know something, it wasn't no. because San Francisco was uh, uh, where the you know how do you call that the the the, the cops were taking money for ah uh, they were they on the wa- take yeah and they didn't they they didn't want to make a big thing out of it you know what I mean so right. it was a Susan Stryker uh, when she was uh, researching the the riot uh, at the LGBT historical society came up. Into an article, a very small article, I think, and then she started uh, asking people if anybody knew about the riot. But we had forgotten about it. We had no idea. I mean, at, now that I'm 63 years old, and my senior year comes in and out, you know, and it and it happened 40. Well, when this, when she started researching and coming out with the with the thing, it was. Um, Forty years later, you know, and most of the people had died and and stuff like that. So, uh, and it wasn't a big deal because it was a big deal to us, but it wasn't a big deal to the to the community, to the to society. It was like, oh, it happened, but oh, a, a bunch of weirdos, queers, and and sissies, and whatever did happen, and uh, uh, let's let's make a, a small article, and I don't even think it was in the newspapers, but uh, it came out in a gay paper, and that was it, and it was lost for forty years. For forty years, it was lost. Wow. And then she started she started uh, researching and asking people. Vaguely, I remember. I mean, I don't remember. I don't. Remember, I remember now everything that now that the movies, that the documentaries out. I, I, you, 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 you sense. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, remembrance of what happened. You know how how the police treated us. How it mm-hmm. one night it the whole thing erupted and everybody was taken to jail. But you know something. It wasn't. Uh, we didn't. We didn't uh, uh, go to jail for a long time. You know what I mean? Right. It wasn't. It wasn't like a criminal. You know, I mean, because the police had to keep it hush hush because they were on the take and they didn't want to lose all that money. Right. 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 Wow. So, but it happened, and then I, 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 I met this guy by, by the name of Larry. Uh, and he was a commercial artist, and he, he uh, me and him, uh, I had just started taking hormones and stuff like that, so we moved to to uh, Chicago, at the uh, uh, on uh, near Lakeshore Drive, and I started doing drag at the Baton Theater, Baton Lounge in Chicago. I was a stripper, and then. Uh, um, I, were you you were a, a male stripper or a female just, impersonator stripper? Okay, just make I just trying dra- to make sure I know what's going on here. Okay? In, a, in a in a drag in a drag bar, okay. Okay, because you said you started taking hormones, so that means yep. you were taking the estrogen, right? Right. So, well, all so, the girls so, wanted to look more feminine, you know, but okay, we had so no at that, idea. At that point, when you moved to Chicago, you were not you weren't taking the hormones. To become a woman, yet you were just taking it because you were to performing be more. To be more feminine. Okay. And then, 
in in '69 when I was in Chicago, I saw the Christine Jorgensen movie. The the what? first sex change in 1951. Right, she, right, right. And yeah. he was in that in the service, and they went to Germany and came back as a male, as a female, and that's when I saw. Oh my God. Maybe there's that's that's who I that's what maybe transgender is who I am. And then I came, uh, me and my boyfriend broke up, and I came back to San Jose, and I started, I was taking hormones, but I wasn't fully dressing up like a girl either. So uh, in 1971, I, 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 I got hired by Pacific Telephone as a, the first telephone male operator in the state of California. Wow. So... uh the, my supervisor would say, lower your voice so they can tell you you're a man. I said, well, I'm going to talk the way I want to. I can't be talking like a man. So uh, I joined the gender dysphoria clinic in uh, uh, in uh, Chope Hospital in San Mateo, uh, who, who was the doctor. Dr. Donald Lobb was uh, was the the doing surgery there in uh, um I got a letter, and uh, after working three or four years at the telephone company with acting straight and bandaging my my breast so nobody would tell, for three or four years I bandaged my breast so nobody would tell that I had breast. And, wow. Uh, uh, and in 1974, uh, Blue Cross of California approved my surgery. And then it only approved it for three people. Three girls, uh, one in Oakland and one in San Francisco, Sacramento, and one in, in me. And the, and after they approved those three surgeries, it was a cause that nobody else could ever do it. And what year was this that you had the surgery done? In 1974. Wow, that was before I was even born. That was 35. <laughs> that was 35 years ago. <laughs> I've been, 30. I, I've lived more longer as a woman than I ever was a man. So, so I'm you. 63 years old, so, you know, it's the, and then what happened is that uh, I wanted to, to, to be a woman. I, I, I wanted to be a woman, and I, and I finally completed it. It's that the, there's a lot of uh, misconceptions out there that after the surgery you can climax and you can have all this and all that, but it's not true. You give up when you do your, when you have a sex change, and cut, they cut off your genitals to be a woman. You got to make sure that this is what you really want, because the doctors can promise you the world that you're going to climax, but nobody can duplicate a vagina. Right. And, right. And and that way. Um, so, but you know something is it. I have been very happy with myself. And then um, in 1987, I became HIV positive. I had my lover that was an intravenous drug user. I picked him up here in San Francisco when I used to come to San Francisco because I was working for the telephone company. And uh, he, uh, and then we broke up, and then I became HIV positive. And then it's when the girls decide. Be quiet. My little girl. That's something to get on there too. My my little girl, she gets very hysterical with the with the sirens here in San Francisco because there's a lot of them. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I became HIV positive in San Jose, California, and then I decided that after being married to a, I was I I was in a straight relationship. My husband did not know that I was a transsexual woman. Oh wow. Because a lot of men, I'll tell you one thing: a lot of men don't know what a vagina looks like. Okay. <laughs> I certainly don't. <laughs> well, actually, I've seen pictures, but <laughs> well, you know, but you know something. A lot of men, all they want to do is poke, and that's it. I mean, they don't care less about anything else. But my husband was a very good man, and then my best girlfriend, who knew me, told my husband, and he almost went crazy because he was a straight Chicano man from Mexico. And I promised myself after that episode with him, I had to take care of him for a long time because mentally he was just blown away that he, he could not understand that 
he was in love with a man, what I used to be men. Well, you know what I mean? Psychologically. So I, I, I helped him through it. And then I promised myself that I would never deceive another person as long as I live. That I would always be in front with my, with my gender and with my HIV status. Now, so, when you tested positive, Felicia, did, did your, your husband or your boyfriend at the time, did he also test positive? No. We were, we were, my, my, my husband had, I had already separated from him. My, okay. I was with my boyfriend. My boyfriend didn't know that he was positive until two or three years later when he moved back, he moved back to San Francisco and he found out that he had been, he passed away about four, about ten, about ten years ago. So, Sorry to hear that. Yeah. But, uh, then I decided, well, heck, uh, I am in a position where I can educate the lesbian and gay community about transgender, transsexual women, because for for some reason the the we're still in the stigma that we were when we were growing up in our young ages that we were uh, prostitutes, thieves, drug addicts, and heaven knows what else, and our stigma still follows us. And we have to work double hard to educate the lesbian and gay community that there's a lot of good transsexual, transgender people here in this world that we have as much right as anybody else. So I started Amen. doing drag shows, and uh, they asked me, well, I can't be a drag queen. I'm a, I am have my surgery. Oh, girl, they'll never know. Just <laughs> let's raise money. <laughs> They don't know what a vagina looks like, exactly. <laughs> so, so I decided, well, heck, you know, uh, I'm, I said, okay. So I started in 87. We started doing drag shows at uh, Box, at uh, 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 Tinker's Dam, and a lot of bars in the Renegades in San, in San Jose, California. And then we were going to, uh, then I joined, I became an uh, emotional and practical support volunteer for the Ares Project in San Jose, California. And that's where I, 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 uh, I helped a mother with her son's quilt, the Ace Memorial quilt. Mm-hmm. And I've made about over 80 of them for my friends that have died of AIDS. Wow. And... Uh, and then that's when I started volunteering and raising money for AIDS, and I've been doing that for the last 22, 23 years. And uh, to, uh, then I decided, well, heck, I mean, we're going to funerals two or three times a week in the late 80s and early 90s. We were getting tired of going to so many funerals and so many wakes, and and our friends of, you know, I have a list. I I have a list when I came to San Francisco that that I started working for Project Open Hand as a volunteer and then I got I started uh, um, I came to die in San Francisco and so mm-hmm. I told myself where in the heck do I want to die because I know I'm positive and it's 1987 now early 90s we're going to the funerals two or three times a day two or three times a week now where do I want to die. In the city that I love the best, so I've been waiting to die since 1991. So. <laughs> and you're still here, honey. <laughs> and I'm still here. So it's just that it's just that. Uh, uh, then I I started uh, uh, my first gay pride parade was in 1987 with the Eras Project, and I've been marching ever since. Uh, and then I I raised money for every organization here in. Uh, San Francisco. I'm very. I was very much involved with the San Francisco Ducal Court, who is an organization that uh, crowns a Grand Duke and a Grand Duchess every year. And they they run for one year, and then they raise money for uh, for uh, for organ all kinds of organizations. And they have the 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 crown prince, crown princess, white knight, and all that. And they they all raise all through the year. They raise money so. Uh, once a year in September, they uh, crown a new Grand Duke and Grand Duchess. Uh, Grand Duke this year is Carlos Medell, and uh, Landa Lake is our Grand Duchess. So, uh, and uh, I just uh, I worked for uh, Project Open Hand for six years. I worked for Shanti for five years. 
I worked for the LGBT community for two or three years, and then I decided that uh, in 2007, I decided, oh, that the before that, it's just that uh, I was in an intergenerational group at the, uh, at the Eureka Recreational Center here in San Francisco, who was, uh, a group was Lyric, which is for young people, and there was the uh, New Leaf, is for seniors. And out loud, the out loud radio is uh, sort of like a like you guys, but uh-huh. in San Francisco. And they all got together and they invited me and they we, we the youth and the and the seniors got together and they exchanged stories. And I decided, oh my God, look at the sto- all the stories that are lost about our history. How horrible that we're losing so many people to AIDS to other diseases and to old age and we don't have none of this documented and it's it's horrible how how our history is being lost and nobody cares i mean they a lot of people care but it's just not their priority so i think that's true a lot of what you say um is forgotten and it's because you know people aren't sharing their stories or it's not getting out there enough to i know i haven't heard of like certain stories that you're talking about, and I, I wish that there was a, a place to go where you could find like personal stories of you know the fighters back then in the day when the, you know the movement was first coming about. Well, you have to understand that when when we were growing up, it, thank God it didn't happen to me, but you were put in a mental institution and given shock treatments to make you straight. Wow. And a lot of right. people don't 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 even fathom today what we went through to get to where we are today the struggles the fights the 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 deaths that have happened and 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 the youth today have have it more easier than ever because they don't understand what the old gener older generation went through to get where we are today like harvey milk and uh a, a, a lot of the people like uh uh, Stonewall, you know, Stonewall was after us, but that was publicized. And I went, uh, I think in 1994, I went to the 25th anniversary of the Stonewall riots, and I was amazed at the Stonewall Inn and and across the park where the the statues are, and and I was just blown away that you know that although I I knew I had made history, I I didn't know I had made history, but I knew somebody else was, and I was really intrigued at at the people that that stood up that night in in Stonewall and but I had forgotten about what I did isn't that strange I never 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 came into my mind until Susan Stryker started uh researching and asking people yeah I was there <laughs> uh, duh <laughs> uh-oh I just want to let people know that um the the phone lines are open. You can call in and speak with uh, Felicia at 347-215-9442. You can ask a question or make a comment about her amazing story. Um, so and I, the lines I are open. A, okay, and, and, and Felicia, this is Jeremy. I, I have a question for you. Sure. So what about now? How are things going now? You know, living out as a proud transgender woman, which I, I just absolutely applaud you. And um, living out as as an HIV positive woman, how how is how is that today? What it, what's what's going on today? What's going on today? Uh, I am to the point that I have taken twenty two years to educate the lesbian and gay community, and there is nothing else that I can do. So uh, after my after my uh, my event on the 22nd, uh, I decided to to take care of me. I've been taking care of the community for 22 years, educating them, fundraising, volunteering. Uh, for my 50th birthday, uh, I had a barbecue here at the uh, apartment building, and I raised $1,500 to send uh, me and a friend of mine and three volunteers to view the AIDS Memorial Quilt in Washington, uh, D.C. in 1996. 
So I have I have I have done my share and I have done my bit and I'm getting tired. I'm getting <clears throat> tired and I'm to the point that I want to close the the book and and just live a normal girl. I want to be a girl again. I don't want to be a drank a transsexual drag queen. I'm tired. <laughs> I hear you. I'm tired. You know that that Friday and Friday and Saturday nights and putting on that makeup. Oh. Well, you know what? Take a sit down, put your feet up, and have a cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know something. It's a, I. That that's what happened to me. The major. The uh, what changed my life is, is I stopped being a drunk. Okay, I was a drunk all my life because you know how people get uh, uh, with liquor they 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 ease the pain of whatever mm-hmm. they went through. Well, I was the aggressor when I was drunk. I was the the aggressor. I had boyfriends up the yin yang. Then I woke up this morning. I stopped drinking, and I don't know how to not be the aggressor. You know what I mean? Right. So I just stopped looking. I just you know. If you're interested in me, fine. If you're not, that's fine. But you know something? I'd rather be, I'm happy alone with my two dogs and we can do places and go places and do things and, and just do nothing if we don't want to. Uh, I got tired of being, I'm trying pleasing my partner, pleasing my husband, pleasing people so they could accept me. So, you know, the the, the whole life of being accepting and, and fighting and, and struggling to to for somebody to love you as who you are, but there's very rare that you find authentic love or a relationship. So I haven't found that after I tell you that I've been married nine times legally. Wow, you and Elizabeth Taylor, holy cow. Well, well, at least Elizabeth Taylor was rich. Here I married nothing but poor suckers. <laughs> Did you marry any of them twice? No, no. No, these no. were nine. Wow. Nine you husbands. Go, nine you husbands, go. yeah. And the last husband uh, was in 1994. My goodness. That was my last relationship, and that was my last sexual relationship with a, with a man. It's not, it's, I, it's just, I don't miss it. I just, you know, I, I, I miss the, the intimacy, you, you know what I mean, of loving right. and kissing and things like that. But I'd rather not do that. I want number one. I don't want number two, number three, number four. If number one comes, I'll take him. But if three or four comes, I don't want to take him. I've been, I've been all my life with three, four, five, and six. You know what I mean? I want number one to show up one of these days and <laughs> and kick me off my feet or something like that. You know what? You know what I mean? But you got to tell him, Felicia. You got to tell him if number one's out there, call into the show now. <laughs> <laughs> Felicia but is it, looking. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not looking. If it's not fine. Oh, no, no, no. No. Right. no I don't I'm want looking. nobody. You know something? If I have a relationship, okay, he's going to have to live in his place and I have to live in my place. You know what right. I mean? I don't yeah. want him to come into my house and 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 destroy anything that I got going here. You know what I mean? Because I I'm too much of a free person to have anybody ever come into my life and, and oh, if you come into my house and you push away my dogs, which are my kids, my family, my life, you'll never come into this house again, you know? That's how mm-hmm. I feel. That's how I feel about my dogs. They're my companionship. They're, they're there when I'm sick. It's, oh, my little girl is three years old and her name is Gypsy Rosalie. <laughs> and, and my one-and-a-half-year-old is Simon Cow. The dog. Oh, Simon Cowell, Gypsy Rose Lee. Oh my God. Oh, that's hysterical. So oh. I, I, I just, oh, been, my goodness. I just, I just been very fortunate, very fortunate that I, and 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 and, and the, to boggles everybody's mind, to mind to, and it boggles me everything I, I, every time I think about it. Why am I still here? All my friends are gone when they first got infected in 87. Why after 22 years I'm still here and it and it just remember uh, it just boggles my mind that I'm still here and I wonder why. Cuz you're here to teach people, Felicia. 
Yeah, but this teacher's getting old. This teacher's <laughs> teacher ready old. to go on summer break. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh-huh. You know, Felicia, one of the things I love about your website, and people can check that out at FeliciaFlames.com, and it's in, the, it's in the chat room there, is that you actually have a timeline of your photos, uh, you know, yes. from when you were little to, you know, through your transition. And I'm looking at two couple of your photos, and I know I've seen them on television. This picture where it says um, you as Diane or Bobby in 1970 in Chicago in the hotel. Uh-huh. Those pictures look so familiar to me. Were they on, like, a TV show somewhere? They were probably in, uh, uh, well, you know something, a lot of, a lot of the, 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 my pictures have been shown in the documentary, The Screaming Queens, or there was a little uh, nine-minute uh, documentary called Felicia. Well, The Screaming Queens uh, uh, debuted here at the uh, LGBT Film Festival, and I think in 2000. Seven, five, or seven, somewhere around there. And then last year, I had uh, another documentary uh, uh, debut at the LGBT Film Festival last year uh, called Felicia, and they have pictures of me as as, as a as a as a as a boy. Uh, you know how hard it is to say that as as, as a boy. <laughs> I can I I you know I I I will be completely honest and say I I can't imagine. You know, just because I'm not transgendered, you know, and it's just, it's what it, I just have to say that your story is, is simply amazing. And you have to understand that, you know, something, a lot of, I didn't, I never thought I was born in the wrong body for a long time. I just thought it was just me being a sissy, you know what I mean? Until right. I saw the Christine Jorgensen movie in the, in 69 or 70, that's when I started to realize maybe, maybe, see, because now education, Oprah has it out. Uh, 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 Oprah has young little kids that are transitioning in their early uh, babyhood, like five, seven, or eight years old. They're transitioning from yeah. from uh, from male yeah. to uh, to female. And God, to be born in this age was is fabulous. But to have been born in the in uh, Earlier than the than the sixties is just, I mean, hard, hard, hard because we didn't have anything to go by. We had no role models. We had no no programs to for us to go and and seek to see why we were this way. Mm-hmm. And it's and and uh, you know I applaud all the people that that have made it to this point and 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 you and you have to understand you have to cherish the history because of what uh, not only me but a whole bunch of people went through to make the the to make you guys proud today now like queer queer oh my god when i first i was at a group at a, at the LGBT struggle society and we were having an intergenerational group and these kids were using queer here queer there queer there and i i stood up walked out and says where are you going i said Oh no, that queer word has, has has is a painful word for me when I grow up. How can you guys use it so so loosely? I mean, right. it, it was a horrible thing for us, and it was painful. And here, the youth today feel nothing using it. And I and and sometimes you like you have to accept the changes in the world, you know. And it's hard, but it's it's we were we were the hippie generation. And now there's pants that you're up to your knees now, and it's very hard to see these young kids with their pants all the way up to their knees. But that's who they are, and you can't you can't change it because they're going through a transitioning period. And we mm-hmm. all went through that when we were young, and it's hard. It's hard, you know. So, I, I, I hear oh. some I hear some howls in the background. <laughs> That's Simon. Is that Simon or Gypsy? They're both. Both. <laughs> so Felicia, where did you come up with the name Felicia Flames? Well, hey, hold on. Okay. Oh, Mr. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Felicia. Felicia is, uh, I was, 
I, I was called, uh, okay, I was Felipe Alvarado Elizondo when I was born, okay? Right. And then when I had my surgery, I was Elena Nicole Montez because at the time I didn't want, just in case the media got a hold of it because I was, I was, I was working for the telephone company, that mm-hmm. they wouldn't make a big deal of it. They wouldn't connect my family with my name. Right. And then about, uh, my mother died in 1977, and then uh, about in 1994-95, I decided that I wanted to go back to my almost name, so Felipe became Felicia. And I was born Felicia A. Elizondo, but now I'm, I was born Felipe Alvarado Elizondo, but now I'm Felicia A. Elizondo. I, almost to my roots, almost to, since my birth certificate is that name, they changed my birth certificate in Texas, you know, so I am. And then flames came where uh, I was performing at Aunt Charlie's uh, uh, lounge here in San Francisco. It's right across from the Gene Compton's cafeteria, but it's no longer there no more. And it's, there's a plaque right on the corner of Turk and Taylor that says the screaming, the, 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 there's a plaque of the, of the riot that was done about two years ago, two or three years ago. And on the 40th anniversary, yeah. Wow. Okay. So, so Felicia claimed, and I, and here, what buckles my mind, in the 60s, I was in the Tenderloin, and now I'm performing right across the street from the Gene Compton's Cafeteria, which calls Aunt Charlie's at one. If you go to AuntCharlie's.com, and no, mm-hmm. AuntCharlie'sLounge.com, you'll find the, 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 the bar there, and or you can go to the, the www, the Hotbox Girls with three X's, uh, www.hotboxgirls.com and you'll find our website of the the performers that are there and there's a girl that's been there for Vicky Marlene she's been a performer for 50 something years and she's still performing she's going to be 75 in September and then there's Gina La Divina who is our MC who is I, I, I tell you she is a true drag queen from 100% drag queen and uh, and the rest of the girls, but we perform there. It's, it's extra money for us. It's not a you know. So right now I'm I'm doing this big event to honor our seniors. It's called Yesterday's Heroes, honoring all our LGBT seniors. It's going to be held at the LGBT Community Center here in San Francisco, uh, from twelve to four. Uh, hopefully, uh, and I I think and, and I have a confirmation from Senator Mark Leno who is a very good-looking gay man in the Senate here in California, and hopefully Tom Amiano is the assemblyman, assembly member here in California, and Bevan Duffy, who is the Board of Supervisors, and uh, David Campos, who is a new elected supervisor who is also gay. And I have uh, Susan Strike, uh, 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 Dan Nicoletti, he used to work for... Uh, uh, Harvey Milk at the camera shop on uh, Castro, and it's just, you know something, this experience is not, I didn't think I could get educated at my old age, but I found that this, these senior his, this, uh, storytelling is fabulous. I, I'm, I'm right now, I'm a volunteer for Open House, who is doing a big, uh, 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 what do you call it, it's finding a place to to build at uh, uh, 55 Laguna is going to be an LGBT-only senior housing for seniors. Because you have to understand, there's a lot of seniors that were thrown out and disowned by their families. And they're still, a lot of them are still in the, uh, today because they're scared, they're still in the closet, you know. And mm-hmm. it, it, they have to have a community. I would like to, one of these days, go in a community center and, 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 and sit at a table and talk about my life. We can't do that right now because the straight people, the older people, are still not accepting us. So it's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Felicia, what is, a, what is something that you would like to tell maybe the, the transgender community members who may be listening to this show and are dealing with a diagnosis? What, can, what kind of... Um, I guess, advice would you like to give to them who may be struggling with their diagnosis? 
I, uh, to me, you have to feel it within your heart. You have to feel it within your body and mind of coming out and being truly who you are. There is no sense in being in the closet no more. That's past. That's past. I mean, you have to be happy with who you are. If you're not happy with who you are, then you are not doing anybody any good. Because the first thing that I learned, now that I'm older, not because I have this all these experiences, I have learned to love myself, accept myself and who I am. Whether I'm dark, whether I'm fat, whether whatever I am, it's who I am, it's who I want to be. I can change it anytime I want to if I truly want to, but the, the to be happy within your own skin and your own shell and just smile and and be, you know, uh uh what do you call it? Uh giving, giving is karma is just, uh, karma is you know learn to love yourself and people will learn to love you back that's terrific if there was one thing that you wanted to leave our listeners with what would that um, one thought be tonight uh, I think the the one thought that I would think of it is um LGBT is supposed to be a community. No matter who you are, what you are, and where you're at, LGBT, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender, we're supposed to be a community. If you you heal your own community first before you go out there looking seeking for anything else. Because there's a lot of people within the LGBT community that are hurt by our own by their own people. Learn to mend that community first, and then go out and to the world. Because, like in the straight community, there's always you know backstabbing, gossiping, you know, all that stuff. But you know, something you have to. The thing is that LGBT is supposed to be a community, and we're supposed. Let's deal with that first. Heal within our community first. Right. You would think after all the the fighting that we did to to get rights as a community that we wouldn't, you know, be the first ones to turn our backs on our own community when, you know, things are different or, or there's, you know, you're not the same as us, so now we're going to discriminate. And I know that probably the transgender community gets it and then also the HIV community gets it in. And it's kind of like... Um, I don't know if you want to say an oxymoron, but you really, after all the fight that we did, we shouldn't be turning our backs on our own people. Felicia, we're down to the last two minutes, and I am so excited and thrilled that you were on tonight sharing your story, and I just want to thank you for being so open, and I really think you should write a book. Well, thank you very much for having me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love to tell my. I didn't. I didn't know how to tell my. I didn't. I was embarrassed to tell my story, but since the Screaming Queens documentary, I'm. I'm. I've decided to be an open book. Well, I love it. And thank you very much to the both of you for having me. And I. I. uh, My purpose in life is to educate. Educate to to the struggles of what we went through in in our LGBT community. Well, I couldn't agree more with you. And I'd like to see if maybe you can check out our social network that we have. Um, if you go to posim.com, you can join there and set up a profile. I would love to have you um, reach out to the transgender community on that site there as well. Thank you. What, great, what's um, the name of it? Uh, posim.com. Okay. I'll send you a link in the email, but I just want to thank you for coming on, sharing your wonderful Well, thank story. you. Thank you, America. Thank you for having me. Bye. Thank you, <laughs> Felicia, so much. Thank you, guys. You, you do great work. Thank you for having thank, me. Thank, thank you for you. thank you for being here. Okay, and everybody bye. Everybody can visit Felicia at FeliciaFlames.com. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Jeremy, what an amazing woman. Uh, you're telling me. I mean, sure, like that from the Navy. Just... I mean, I, I was just blown away with her story, and um, wow, kudos to her for being so open and honest and offering people so much hope. Oh, it's just, just honored to have her on, and she's just a wealth of of 
information and just knowledge. And she's a walking history book. Yeah, it's amazing. So, Jeremy, we'll be back here next Sunday where we're going to be speaking with John Cunningham from the um, National AIDS Memorial Grove. Awesome. And he's going to speak about that. So I'm excited. And then this Wednesday with Jack, we'll have um, a member from Get Real Philly on, and he will talk about his organization at GetRealPhilly.org. You folks can find more information on Jeremy at PositivelySpeaking.com, and you can find more information on the radio show and whatnot at POSIM.com. Jeremy, have a great night, and I'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.